Yip Talk, the Your Investment Property Podcast. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on the economy, each state and territory has implemented relief plans for tenants. In this episode of Yip Talk, our host, Sarah Meganson, sits down with Paul Wilson of Income to Wealth to explore how these tenant relief plans are impacting the investment market and investor appetite. episode of Yip Talk, your investment properties podcast. We have a return guest this episode, Paul Wilson. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Uh, So Paul is a wealth of knowledge around so many different areas of investing, and that's why I thought you were the perfect person to talk to for this particular topic. Uh, Coronavirus is upon us. We're we're in the middle of the pandemic, and it has been a real um, rollercoaster ride for property owners. If you're a landlord, I think this has been one of the, Mm. if not the biggest kind of shake-up to landlord uh, tenancy rules and regulations and laws, and um, it's really tested people, hasn't it? It has, and there's been no time to get used to the idea, at least when there were proposals, proposed changes um, through legislation that was going to impact the property market um, in the past. They've been proposed, they've been discussed, and there's been time for us to uh, sort of think about how that might impact on us and what move we would make if, if certain decisions were made. Uh, but this was made, this, this came upon us all, we're all impacted, and the degree in which you're exposed will vary, obviously, but... Um, yes, we've had to learn to zig and zag very, very quickly with little time to consider where we are. And, and often that also means that we, out of fear of the unknown, might be a bit hasty in our decision-making process. So hopefully today we'll be able to get a little bit more perspective around um, the market, the impact, and how it might uh, impact individuals so people can make a better informed decision about where they're sitting and, and what sort of exposure they're having to the current changes that, that are out there in the marketplace. Yes, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there when you used the word fear. I think yeah. fear has been dominating a lot of people's um, thought processes and, you know, I know certainly for me I'm the type of person that likes to have all my ducks in a row and yep. when coronavirus hit it's like your flock took off and they all flew in different directions. They were they were no longer in a row, they were no longer in a pond, they were just all over the shop and it, it's a real mental battle to kind of bring everything back in and look at the elements you can control, um, mm. what, what, is, what is the actual risk versus the perceived risk. Um, yeah, yeah. So I had a conversation with a friend a couple of weeks ago, um, long-term property investors. They've always owned one or two properties and at the moment they've got two investment properties and when corona hit they struggled to find a tenant for one mm-hmm, of them. Mm-hmm. Um, she worked with her property manager. It took about six or seven weeks all up but they finally got someone in um, at a discount of about 10% on what yeah. they were getting pre-COVID and in the midst of that process her husband said maybe we just sell it and get rid of it and Mm. I can understand his thought process because it does feel like this epic stress and it does seem like a solution just sell it get rid of it and we don't have to worry about it anymore but it really is a short-term solution with really long-term implications isn't it so that is so true yeah yeah, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how when um, people have those kinds of fears or when they're like looking at selling is going to be the answer to our prayers, what are some of the questions an investor should be asking themselves or what are, what's kind of a process they should go through to work out whether selling actually does make sense or not? Well, it, it, it comes down to firstly, like, did you intend to sell initially? Because obviously, if you have you intended to put the property on the market, 
then the market changed rapidly because of the, um, the, the COVID impact. Then you might question, okay, well, is it the right time to sell right now because of the confidence that that impacts it? The market may not have responded so quickly, but the confidence of the market certainly did. And so that's a question of timing. Um, it also comes down to the, the debt because it really depends on the amount of debt on the property and what result you're trying to achieve by selling. You know, the ship is sinking. Do we start throwing everything overboard or do we plug the hole? Um, and property as an asset class, I've always said, is a 10 to 15 year asset class. So when we're looking back in, in five or 10 years time, 2020 will be a significant blimp on the radar that we'll all remember, but it will be a blimp. It, it will have probably have moved on. Um, we'll we'll recognise the, the challenges that we were facing in the midst of that um, crisis, but but we will, and, and the, the, the motivations of the governments and the stimulus packages and everything around the world, not just here in Australia, is to get us back on track. So if you're going to sell, what's your reason for wanting to sell and what are you wanting to achieve by selling? Um, what other options are there? Are, are there other contingencies? It comes down to obviously your own personal circumstances at the time, your cash flow. How long can you carry that debt? Um, straight away, the banks were at, you're able to put your mortgages on hold um, for a period of time. So. So it's it's looking at all of the options. Selling is not just the, and I wouldn't be selling in this environment. It's not a time to sell if you don't have to, but there are other options that are available in the marketplace and that, and with your um, funder that you can negotiate to help you navigate your way through the uncertain waters um, and so that you can come out the other end and then reconsider your options. And that that's the really tricky part, isn't it, that, uh, when you're desperate or you're you're not really thinking clearly, you've got a lot of fear, you're uncertain about your job, when all of these types yeah. of things are going on, that's the worst time to make a really big, lasting financial decision. But there will definitely be some people where selling is the right move, mm -hmm. you know, your situation and your finances, maybe you're, you know, you've lost your job or, you know, in a partnership, one of you has lost your job and you're yeah. heavily, heavily geared and you just simply cannot afford to keep going um, or your tenant, you know, has lost their job and they've indicated they're not able to pay their rent. You know, mm -hmm. there, there could be a situation where selling does actually make sense. Yeah. Um, to go back to my previous example of my friend, uh, in their situation, they've got two jobs, two incomes, neither of them have been financially impacted. So his kind of comment of should we sell came about based on, well, this is a bit stressful and everyone mm. is, you know, everyone's saying the property market sucks at the moment and, you know, oh, yep. should we just, just get rid of this problem? When, when she, you know, she kind of turned around to him and said, look, this is our retirement strategy and right now we can afford to maintain it. Um, they got a tenant, they're having to cover that shortfall. It was about a $50 a week difference. So yep, yep. really when you look at it all, it was all quite manageable for them Correct. in their situation. Um, but, you know, it's about working out for you in your situation what really makes the most financial sense because selling is a really expensive exercise. There's, it is, there's, yeah. The, the advertising and marketing, the commissions um, and and then the capital gains tax if it's an investment property. So selling may not be the answer to your prayers. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the other options people could look at at the moment if they're feeling under a bit of financial pressure or they, you know, the, the fears are getting to them and they're just not sure what to do? What are yeah. some other things they could look at? Yeah. So look, there's there's a couple of elements. So firstly, is it is that cash flow. So ha have, have you been impacted from your jobs? Well, if your jobs aren't impacted, um, if you've still got a source of income that's secure, um, then you can make informed decisions around that because you can go, well, 
um, we we're not eating out as much either. We're not. We know we're, a lot of us are finding that we're not we're not not out having the lifestyle and supporting the lifestyle that we were prior uh, prior to the um, to the impact of the virus. So um, our own cash flow. I'm, I'm noticing in a lot of clients I speak with is that their cash flow and their pool of money is building up because they've got nothing to spend it on and that they've tightened their belt as well because they they want to um, build up more savings. Um, so, so if they've got the ability to do that, well, you just redivert your funds. You don't, you're not out there um, spending money on your, your, your takeaways and your dinners out and your lifestyle. And it's often these little drips out of the bucket that have the biggest impact on our finances. And, mm. you know, you were saying that, you know, it's $50 a week. Well, an interest rate rise or a, an increase in, in uh, an expense or a lack of a tenant and, the, and the, the impact it has on your cash flow, often it just comes out of your discretionary spending. You would have spent that money in other ways and you would never have seen where that money went. Now you're just consciously aware of where it's going because of the shortfall on the other side. So um, it's having a little bit of peace and go, okay, look, again, it's, we're, we're in this for the long term, like you said correctly, this is our retirement plan. So we have to be, as investors, a little bit more resilient and we have to make sure that if we're going to go into investing that we're actually able to navigate our way through and have a contingency plan for things that, don't, that aren't on the radar at the time when we go into the, into the investment. Um, if you have to sell, well, you've got to be realistic as well because I've seen a lot of people in a position where they've had to sell, yet they're holding on to the hopes of holding out for that that higher price point. And mm. the, the cost of holding on to a property um, versus the cost of getting rid of a property, if you extrapolate it out, if, so if a lower offer comes in based on what you expected the market value to be, if you work out how long it takes to hold out for that price, it will probably cost you that that gap in money in any case. Um, by the time you find a buyer, the time, the delay, the uncertainty. Um, so I had someone who recently they had a there was they got an offer on a property they had to sell, and they got an offer which was twenty thousand dollars more, and another wow. one and another one which was twenty thousand dollars less. Now the one that was twenty thousand dollars less was a clean contract. It was it was no finance, waiving the cooling off period, money in the bank. The wow. other one came with every condition under the sun. It, it really wasn't a sale until, you know, the, the last option was ticked off, um, the last condition was ticked off, and, and the likelihood was that that had every chance of falling over. So it's that old bird in the hand with two in the bush type scenario. Um, yeah. Grab the money, move on. Um, if, you can't, if you're taking a capital loss, you're taking a capital loss. Hopefully you're not taking a capital loss per se, but you're actually at least cashing out and being realistic as to what the market will deliver and, and that you're not um, penalising yourself by holding out for unrealistic expectations. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it, that um, it's always about more than just the dollars. Correct. As this whole, whole pandemic has shown us, it's mm. not just the financial decision, there are emotional decisions as well. Um, it's usually more, it's always, most people are always more about emotion than, than the actual logistics and, and the oh, fact of the numbers. It's, it's pure emotion all the time. <laughs> and it's also really hard to think long-term when mm. you're the short term you know if you're struggling to pay the bills or you feel financial pressure right now yeah you're not that concerned about your retirement in 20 years but um you know as a slightly different but similar thing that the, the restrictions around um super being able to access your super mm -hmm. uh, you know some people who are a lot smarter than me did some projections and worked out that if you take out ten thousand dollars now and you're still working for another 30 years that could be worth a hundred and twenty thousand dollars to you in retirement yeah. so 
in today's money, you know. So it's like I said, these are short-term solutions that have really long-term impacts. But if you're right now unable to pay your rent, you kind of don't care about 120 grand in in the far off future that doesn't exist. You care about the $10,000 you can access right now. But that ten thousand dollars is also like you, you've had to earn a hundred thousand to get ten thousand into your super. Exactly. So it's not free money, and no. it's not. And the thing yeah. is that you and I live and breathe this every day, Sarah. So for us, it's it we're aware we've got an awareness and points of reference that that make us quickly, you know, come to these conclusions. But for the average person who's out there, so busy what what they're doing in their uh, careers and their families and all the distractions of life that they have. This something something like this comes along and has to it actually really um, paralyzes them because they're paralyzed out of fear and they're paralyzed out of lack of information and how to make informed decisions. Um, Absolutely. So, so the purpose of this podcast and and all the other material that we produce is is so that um, we can help people you know shortcut that learning curve and that decision making process by you know standing on the shoulders of others who are doing it on a daily basis. And that actually brings me to another really um, a good point here. I was talking to a friend who has uh, their own home and an investment property and their income was impacted. So mm-hmm. they're a couple, husband still earning money, but the wife um, lost her income. She was a um, freelancer and yep. her income pretty much died overnight because mm-hmm. her role involved being face-to-face with people. So um, she couldn't do it anymore. So uh, she, her, her, strategy was she got um, JobKeeper, which was fantastic to get a bit of income coming in, and then she paused her mortgage and her investment mortgage. Um, Still has a tenant and the tenant is paying rent. And I said, "Has did anyone talk to you about that aspect of it? Because you're now earning a rental income, Mm -hmm. um, so you're going to have to declare that income on your tax, but you're not paying a mortgage to offset it. So she didn't really understand that she's going to be up for quite a hefty tax, tax bill now. Uh, because that's six hundred dollars a week of income she's getting from her tenant, and she's not paying the mortgage until September, right? And is she so, living in the home as well? No, it's, this is on her investment property. It's on her so investment. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She got a she got a pause a, a mortgage pause on yep. both her own home and her investment property. So she was actually thinking, like she was quite thrilled, um, and she was saying, you know, this has actually worked out really well for me. I'm not only getting JobKeeper, but I'm also getting this whole rental income and we don't have to pay the mortgage for six months. And I said to her, well, just make sure you set some of it aside because um, you're going to have to declare that rental income. And normally uh, you declare that rental income, but you're also declaring a big fat mortgage with it. Mm-hmm. So you're not up for any tax. Well, that's $600 a week at 35% means she's going to be giving over 200 or around 200 bucks a week of that rental income to the taxman. It is still accruing. Um, the, the interest and the loan obligation is still accruing. It's just not being expected of them to pay. Just, exactly. Well, but, and that's a separate, that's yeah. a separate thing. You know, people think it's a, it's a loan to not free money. Loan. Yeah. It's not free money. And it does have, again, these long-term implications, but also, again, if you're struggling to pay it right now, you kind of don't That's care. Right. Which I don't yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think there's been many, many, you know, as you said, this happens so quickly and people were just trying to get the information as quickly as possible. But mm. I don't think the average bank customer service employee is trained or knowledgeable about the tax implications of this and can give that information to people who are calling for these pauses, right? And so, it's the same as those people who might decide to, to create an income by putting a tenant in their own home. Um, and, and, you know, we've got to make sure that they don't expose themselves to um, losing the capital gains tax um, exemption. exemption on that property as well. Um, but uh, the other thing is with... 
um, the, the, the Australian economy is that we're hearing a lot of <clears throat> prediction around the, the market declining, but we've not seen any real evidence of that. Um, the market is still okay from, from what I can see. What I am noticing, though, is a self-fulfilling prophecy by the banks who are predicting that they expect the market will decline by 10%. And it just so happens that the bank valuers are going out to properties and they're applying a um, anticipated COVID um, impact on values of 10%. Of 10%. So, yeah. so if, if, they didn't, if they didn't put that in place, then the self-fulfilling prophecy wouldn't occur. You know, we've, we're looking at market values where uh, an arm's length buyer and arm's length seller have agreed on a market price of the property. Um, the person is still, in most cases, committed to wanting to go ahead with the property, but the banks are requiring us to put in more skin in the game ourselves because they're not wanting yeah. to carry it because they're thinking of their bottom line, their shareholders. Um, it really annoys me when there's, there is no evidence yet that the market has declined, that the price is agreed to by two arm's length removed uh, parties, that the bank are imposing a decline in their expected, and and, the, and we're talking ten percent. Like who can pick the market to that accuracy, that to that degree of accuracy? Ten percent within what? And it's very, uh, like you said, it's a self fulfilling prophecy because it it, it has that knock on effect, right? Mm, so mm. say your house then gets ten um, percent less. So your house is worth eight hundred grand, and now it's valued up at seven twenty. And then someone else... It impacts on the whole neighbourhood. Yeah. And when you're yep. in an apartment complex, that impact can be massive. Correct. Yep. Yeah, so it's, you're impacted by a confidence collapse which flows through to a market decline. And the problem we've got is that we deal with so many lagging indicators in property. We deal with Correct. data that has has been... So right now we actually don't know the impact of COVID because the data that we get through, uh, you know, CoreLogic and ABS and all of these really good, reputable data providers, but they're all valid up until about Feb. You know, there's always Correct. like about a three-month lag. Yep. So we're now starting, we're at the beginning of, so when we're in the beginning and middle of June, we're going to be getting data that's valid till say, the end of March, yep. um, which is just as corona was hitting. Um and it's it's a confidence thing. The confidence is going to dictate where the market goes, but it's we're, we're looking at this old data and, and I guess the GFC, the rumblings I'm hearing is that after the GFC, value has got into quite a lot of trouble when they didn't value conservatively enough Correct. Um, and they got yep. sued. So they are now being ultra conservative. They're covering their back. They're not really a, They're not really an indicator of what the market confidence is exactly. um, at all. They're, which is understandable. Hmm. If I was a value, I'd probably be conservative too. The problem we have is that you now have a, a banking system that has a ton of deferrals um, and if we're going to have these impacts on valuations, um, you know, how long are those impacts going to last mm. and how long is that conservative uh, approach going to last in the market? Um, again, anyone's guess. We won't really and, know. And, and, I'm, and I'm seeing the flip side. I'm talking to buyers every day who are now um, very confident about looking forward to getting a bargain. So, they're, yeah. they're, you know, they're, 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 there's a lot of people out there who have been waiting for something like this to occur so that they can pivot and, and actually take advantage of a situation. They're not being financially impacted. They've got plenty of money. Um, interest rates are low. So there are a lot of people, if you've got income and you've got assets and you've got security, um, you can then go out there now and try to find some really good deals and take advantage of the situation where there are people who have to sell. And, and I'm seeing a lot of that. So there's a lot of market confidence in, in, yes. in one side. It's a real, a real paradox, really. You've got, you've got people at both ends and a big gap in the middle. Yeah. 
And it's and it's bizarre because um, you know having I've been a property journalist for like 15, 16 years. I started just before the GFC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was two thousand and six. So yeah, about about fifteen years. Um, and you, it's been you know such a roller coaster. And every time you have this big event happen, like the GFC, and then there was a mining boom, then a mining bust, mm-hmm. then a royal commission, and all these other little bits and pieces in between. And just when you think you've seen. Yeah, the biggest, and we had, you know, depreciation got got canned overnight in a, mm. in a state budget a few years ago. You know, right. all of these happened. Uh, last year it was, we thought it was chaos that Labor was yeah. attempting to change negative gearing. Everyone thought that would be the end of the world for property investing. Yeah. Um, it, it's such a resilient asset class is my point. It, it does survive all of these ups and downs and, um, you know, it, like you said before, it is a long-term game and strategies that worked 15 years ago simply don't work anymore when i started investing in property i did it um the buy renovate flip strategy and mm-hmm. made a ton um because back then price points were lower you could get in and out of a property without spending a lot mm. now to get into a property you've got to spend you know around 20 to 30 grand just on stamp duty just yeah. to get into it yeah um yeah. that's just the, for the privilege of buying it then you have your renovation costs and then you sell it and pay another 20 or 30 grand in commission correct and so you're gonna the the numbers just don't stack up anymore the way they did i know a few people that we've interviewed um in yip who have done it really well uh if they actually turn it into their job you know they actually move into the home do it for 12 months and i've seen people have incredible results make a couple of hundred thousand dollars but it you can't do it the way maybe you were able to in the past where it was a weekend hobby or a way to yeah. produce an extra income. That active strategy. The active strategy is it's the thing I see a lot of people busy being busy. It's the hare and the tortoise. The, the, in, in property, the tortoise can win the race. You don't have to be running around like a hare um, because, yeah. because like you said, there, there are a lot of downward pressure. There's a lot of impacts that you have in a short term, a lot of expense that you incur in the short term. Most people haven't got the financial capacity to carry the bigger developments or the bigger renovations or, or the higher-end properties. Um, and we'll probably see that the higher end of the property market will probably decline more than the lower end in, in this situation. That happened in the GFC as well because the, the, the top, the degree in which a market is overpriced is the degree in which it will drop. So that will, we'll probably notice those sort of impacts more in the, the higher price Sydney and Melbourne markets, I'd imagine. Um, whereas I'm not sort of seeing that so much in, um, say, the Brisbane, Queensland, Southeast Queensland market where they haven't got those ridiculous prices. There's still good value in that marketplace. Yeah, well, it's interesting. In our street, we because um, we put our property on the market in the first week of COVID. <laughs> really good timing. Go you. Um, and we, we took it off a week later because yeah. we just absolutely realised it wasn't the right time. And we, it was our own home and we um, had quite high expectations of the price we wanted mm. and we just definitely weren't um, ready to take any old offer. So, and the time at the time in the particular area where we lived, the market was quite strong, and our agent was getting really good results. So it seemed um, it was it seemed like a good thing to do at the time. As soon as COVID hit, we went, "All right, well, that just means we're here for another couple of years because we're not going to sell." <laughs> um, but a really good case study in our street, uh, there was another house for sale, like literally three houses up, and they stayed on the market, and they had listed at the same price as us. Um, and I'm, I don't know, it's all whispers at the moment in the neighbours about the final price. We don't know exactly what it is, but it's about a hundred thousand less than what they listed. So, wow. um, it, it's, mm. it, and their situation must've been different that they were either committed elsewhere or they just needed to sell or whatever it was. Um, but you know, in terms of, um, 
percentage like we were listing in the 900s and they took something in the early 800s so um wow. to have that so you were, you were emotionally disengaged from your property and then you had to move back into it and say, oh, okay, we are going to stay here, yeah, and we were <clears> which was a bit of an adjustment, but it's a better adjustment to make than $100,000 below what you're expecting. Exactly. And you know what? I've heard some horror stories of, of people who were selling and agents who were desperate to just make the sale. And they, I had one um, that, that said uh, a friend had told me or a colleague had told me that their agent had said you're just going to have to accept one to two hundred thousand dollars off the asking price if you want to sell in this market and I was like wow that's a really terrible agent (laughs) they just desperately wanted the sale but they should have been counseling them to say look this this is a hard market if you are desperate to sell you might have to negotiate on price but if you can stay you know we don't know what the market's going to do and yeah $200,000 reduction in their price is a $6,000 reduction in his commission. So he's still okay. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And that that price point was, I think it was, they were asking around the 1.1 mark and he was saying, well, you're going to have to take 900, like just immediately condition them down to 900,000. So, (laughs) you know, there are agents out there, like you said, that self-fulfilling prophecy, there is that not all agents are created equal and there's some agents who are not very educated or they're very... um, It's a problem with the advice as well because these these people are relying on a market expert to give them advice about what to do and it has that that quick decision and someone who is desperate can be um, influenced by someone who they're trusted to list their house and the financial impact that that one statement will have because that one guy has more focus, has focused on his outcome rather than their impact. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's really hard to know who to trust mm. in those kinds of circumstances. But I think um, anyone who is not sure what they need to do next, it's it's so much easier said than done. But you have to try to separate emotion from it as much as possible and yeah. focus on the facts. What what are the actual facts? And that's Correct. something that's a process I went through when COVID first hit and I looked at, say, an investment property and went, okay, so if the tenant just does not pay rent and I get no income on that for six months, what is that going to look like? And I looked at all the tax deductions and all of the depreciation and the actual amount of money that would cost me and I worked out how long I could afford that before I would be going backwards. And um, doing those real calculations is so important and I think this is a time to reach out to experts for help if you're not sure. Um, in any case, exactly right. And that's the thing is that people are so close to it that they can't see the facts, even though they're not necessarily complicated. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's, and it doesn't matter whether you're doing it in finances or in life. That's why people go to therapists and counsellors and because you need someone who's emotionally removed who can have a helicopter view and can look at other um, you know, avenues that you can go down that, that you just can't see. You're too blind to it. And you don't, you also, or you may not have the point of reference to realise that there are other options out there. You've just got this tunnel vision that I own something now, I've got to sell something. But there are, like you said, we've discussed, so there's a lot of other options available to you. Don't do it on your own. There are literally people in this industry, there are a lot of experts in the industry. You know, you and I have been around for a long time, Sarah. There are some who will give you the time of day. I've spent hours speaking to people who we don't do any commercial transaction with, but we just give them a little bit of guidance um, and have a conversation with them and, and help them to, to make sense of their situation um, because I believe that sort of stuff will come back to me down the track, not necessarily from them but from someone. So um, find someone who's in the industry who you can sit down and, and have a phone call with um, and, and analyse, do, do an analyse and analyse your situation and, um, and give you some other 
you know, a different perspective than the one that you've been focusing on. And that's why I always love talking to you, Paul. You've always got such great little nuggets like that. <laughs> you have been around for a long time and, and that's why, you know, always mm. a pleasure to chat with you because you've been through so many of these different mar- market cycles and, mm. you know, you do provide that broader or big picture perspective that I think a lot of people need. So thank you very much for your time. Paul Wilson from in- Income to Wealth, thank you. We appreciate your time and looking forward to catching up gosh in about six months we'll check in and see what's going on <laughs> that, that'll be an interesting uh, analysis won't it <laughs> i look forward to it <laughs> thanks Paul. thanks sarah see you later thank you for listening to this episode of yip talk for more from sarah meganson our editor and the expert guests that join her be sure to subscribe on soundcloud stitcher and apple podcasts for the latest episodes and insights you need as a property investor mm-hmm.